0: Section 25 of Four and Twenty Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of the Beauty and the Beast by Madame de Villeneuve. Translated by James Lachey. Part 7. The same circumstances were equally favourable to my enterprise. The wicked fairy was fully convinced as the people by them. The event was so natural that she never doubted it. She did not even condescend to exert her skill to satisfy herself of the fact. I was delighted at her fancied security. I should not have been the strongest had she attempted to recover little beauty. Because, in addition to the reasons which made her my superior, and which I have explained to you, she possessed the advantage of having received that child from you. You had deputed to her your authority, which you alone could reassume, and short of your resting yourself out of her hands, nothing could interfere with the control she had a right to exercise over the princess till she was married. Preserved from this anxiety, I found myself overwhelmed by another on recollecting that the mother of the seasons had condemned my niece to marry a monster. But she was then not three years old, and I flattered myself I should be able, by study, to discover some expedient to prevent this curse being fulfilled to the letter and to evade it by some equivocation. I had plenty of time to ponder on it, and my first care was, therefore, only to find some spot where I could place my precious charge in safety. Profound secrecy was absolutely necessary to me. I dared not place her in a castle, nor exercise for her benefit, any of the magnificent wonders of our art. Our enemy would have noticed it. It would have awakened an anxiety, the consequences of which would have been fatal to us. I thought it better to assume an humble garb and confined the infant to the care of the first person I met with, who appeared to me to be an honest man, and under whose roof I could promise myself she would enjoy the comforts of life. Chance soon favoured my intentions. I found what suited me exactly. It was a small house in a village, the door of which was open. I entered this cottage, which appeared to me that of a peasant. In easy circumstances, I saw by the light of a lamp three country women asleep beside a cradle, which I concluded contained a baby. The cradle did not at all correspond with the general simplicity of the apartment. Everything about it was sumptuous. I imagined that its little occupant was ill, and that the deep sleep into which its nurses had fallen was the consequence of long watching over it. I approached silently, with the intention of curing the infant, and anticipated with pleasure the surprise of these women on awaking to find their invalid restored to health without knowing what to attribute it to. I was about to take the child out of the cradle in order to breathe health into it, but my good intentions were vain; it expired at the instant I touched it. I immediately conceived the idea of taking advantage of this melancholy event, and substituting my niece for the dead child, which by good fortune was also a girl. I lost no time in making the exchange, and bearing away the lifeless infant buried it carefully, I then returned to the house at the door of which I knocked long and loudly, to awaken the sleepers. I told them, feigning a provincial dialect, that I was a stranger to those parts who was in want of a night's lodging. They good-naturally offered me one, and then went to look at their nursling, whom they found quietly asleep, with all the appearance of being in perfect health. They were astonished and delighted not dreaming of the deception I had practised upon them. They informed me that the child was the daughter of a rich merchant, that one of their party had been her nurse, and after having weaned her, had restored her to her parents, but the child, having fallen ill in her father's house, had been sent back to the country in hope that the change of air would be of service to her. They added, with satisfied countenances, that the experiment had succeeded, and produced a better effect than all the remedies which had been restored to previous to its adoption. They determined to carry her back to her father as soon as it was daylight, in order to afford him, as early as possible, the gratification he would derive from her restoration, for conducing to which also they expected to receive a liberal reward, as the child was his particular favourite, although the youngest of eleven. At sunrise they set out and I feigned to continue my journey, congratulating myself on having so well provided for my niece's safety. To ensure this object more completely, and induce the supposed father still more to attach himself to the little girl, I assumed the form of one of those women who go about telling fortunes, and arriving at the merchant's door, just as the nurses reached it with the child, I followed them into the house. He received them with delight and taking the little girl in his arms, became the dupe of his parental affection, and fancied that the emotions simply caused by his kindly disposition were the mysterious workings of nature at the sight of his offspring. I seized this opportunity of increasing the interest he believed he had in the child. Look well upon this little one, my good gentleman said I in the usual language of the class to which my dress I appeared to belong. She will be a great honor to thy family. She will bring thee immense wealth, and save thy life and that of thy children. She will be so beautiful, so beautiful, that she will be called beauty by all who behold her. As a reward for my prediction he gave me a piece of gold, and I withdrew perfectly satisfied. I had no longer any reason for residing with the race of Adam. To profit by my leisure, I returned to Fairyland, resolving to remain in it some time. I passed my days there quietly in consoling my sister, in giving her news of her dear daughter and in assuring her that, far from forgetting her, you cherished her memory as fondly as you had formerly herself. Such great king was our situation whilst you were suffering under the fresh calamity which had deprived you of your child, and renewed all the affliction you had felt at the loss of her mother. Although you could not positively accused the person to whom you had confided the infant of being the willful cause of the accident it was still impossible for you not to look upon her with an evil eye for though it did not appear that she was guilty of intentional mischief it was certainly through her neglecting to see that the young princess was properly attended and protected that the event had proved fatal After the first paroxysms of your grief had subsided, she flattered herself that no obstacle would arise to prevent your espousing her. She caused her emissaries to renew the proposal to you, but she was undeceived, and her mortification was excessive. When you declared that not only were your intentions unchanged, Respecting a second marriage but that even could anything alter your determination it would never be in her favor to this declaration you added a positive order for her to quit the kingdom immediately her presence continually reminded you of your child and renewed your affliction such was the reason you adduced for this step But your principal object was to put an end to the intrigues she was constantly carrying on in order to gain her end. She was furious, but she was obliged to obey without being able to avenge herself. I had persuaded one of our ancient fairies to protect you. Her power was considerable, for she joined to her age the advantage of having been four times a serpent. In proportion to the excessive peril incurred by that process, are the honours and powers attached to it. This fairy, out of considerations for me, took you under her protection, and put it out of the power of your indignant lover to do you any mischief. This disappointment was fortunate for the queen, whose form she had assumed, She awoke her from her magic slumber, and concealing from her the criminal use she had made of her features, placed her conduct in the best light before her. She expatiated on the value of her intercession with the king, and on the trouble she had saved her, and gave her the best advice she could, how to maintain herself for the future in her proper person. It was then to console herself for your indifference the fairy returned to the young prince and resumed her care of him she became too fond of him and not being able to make herself beloved she caused him to suffer that terrible effect of her fury in the meanwhile i had incessantly arrived at the privileged age and my power was increased but my desire to serve my sister and yourself induced me to feel that, still, I had not sufficient. My sincere friendship blinding me to the perils of the terrible act, I resolved to undertake it. I became a serpent and passed fortunately through the ordeal. I was then in a position to act openly in favor of those who, were persecuted by my malicious companions. If I cannot at all times entirely dissolve their fatal spells, I can at least counteract them by my skill and by my counsels. My niece was amongst the number of those whom I could not completely favour, not daring to discover all the interest I took in her. It appeared to me that the best thing I could do was to allow her still to pass as the merchant's daughter. I visited her under various forms and always returned satisfied. Her virtue and beauty equaled her good sense. At the age of fourteen, she had already given proof of her great fortitude during the changes of fortune which had befallen her supposed father. I was delighted to find that the most cruel reverses had not been able to affect her tranquillity. On the contrary, by her cheerfulness, by the charm of her conversation, she had succeeded in restoring it to the hearts of her father and her brothers, and I rejoiced to observe also that her sentiments were worthy of her birth. These pleasant reflections were, however, mingled with much bitterness, when I remembered that, with so many perfections, she was destined to be the wife of a monster. I toiled, I studied night and day to find some means of saving her, from so great a misfortune, and was in despair at finding none. This anxiety did not prevent me, however, from paying occasional visits to you. Your wife, who was deprived of that liberty, implored me incessantly to go and see you, and, notwithstanding the protection of our friend, her affectionate heart was continually alarmed about you and persuaded her that the instant I lost sight of you would be the loss of your life, and in which you would be sacrificed to the fury of our enemy. This fear possessed her so strongly that she scarcely gave me a moment's rest. No sooner did I bring her news of you than she supplicated me so earnestly to return to you, that it was impossible to refuse her compassionating her anxiety, and more desirous to end it than to save myself the trouble it gave me. I employed against my cruel companion the same weapons she had made use of against you. I proceeded to open the great book. By good fortune, it was at the very moment she was holding that conversation with the queen and prince, which terminated in his transformation. I lost not a word of it, and my rapture was extreme at finding that, in seeking to assure her vengeance, she neutralized it, without knowing it, the mischief which the mother of the seasons had done us in dooming beauty to be the bride of a monster. To crown our happiness, she added conditions so advantageous that it almost seemed as if she made them on purpose to oblige me for she thereby furnished my sister's daughter with an opportunity of proving that she was worthy of being the issue of the purest of fairy blood the slightest sign or gesture expresses amongst us as much as it would take an ordinary mortal three days to explain I uttered but one contemptuous word. It was enough to inform the assembly that our enemy had pronounced her own sentence in that which she had caused ten years before to be passed upon your wife. At the age of the latter, the weaknesses of love was more natural than at the advanced period of existence of a fairy of the highest order. I spoke of the base and wicked actions which had accompanied that superannuated fashion. I urged that if so many infamous acts were allowed to pass unpunished, mortals would be justified in saying that fairies existed in the world but to dishonour nature and afflict the human race. Presenting the book to them, I condensed this abrupt oration in the single word, BEHOLD! It was not the less powerful in its effect. There were present also friends of mine, both young and old, who treated the amorous Fury as she deserved. She had not succeeded in becoming your wife, and to that disgrace, was now added degradation from her order and imprisonment, as in the case of the Queen of the Happy Island. This council was held whilst she was with you, madam, and your son. As soon as she appeared amongst us, the result was communicated to her. I had the pleasure to be present. After which, closing the book, I descended rapidly from the middle region of air in which our empire is situated, to compact the effect of the despair to which you were ready to abandon yourselves. I performed my journey in as short a space of time as I had occupied with my laconical address. I arrived soon enough to promise you my assistance all sorts of reasons combined to invite me, your virtues, your misfortunes, said the fairy, turning to the prince. The advantages they offered to beauty made me see in you the monster that suited me. You appear to me worthy of each other, and I felt convinced that when you become acquainted, your hearts would do each other mutual justice." You know, she continued, addressing the queen, what I have since done to attain my object, and by what means I obliged Beauty to come to this palace, where the sight of the prince and her interviews with him, in the dreams I conjured up for her, had the effect I desired. They kindled love in her heart without diminishing her virtue, or weakening the sense of duty and gratitude which attached her to the monster. In short, I have happily brought my scheme to perfection. Yes, prince, pursued the fairy. You have no longer anything to fear from your enemy. She is stripped of her power and will never again be able to injure you by other spells. You have exactly fulfilled the conditions she imposed on you. Had you not done so, you would have been still bound by them, notwithstanding her eternal degradation. You have made yourself beloved without the aid of your rank or your intelligence. And you, beauty, are equally relieved from the curse pronounced upon you by the mother of the seasons. You cheerfully accepted a monster for your husband. She has nothing more to exact. All now tends to your happiness. The fairy ceased speaking and the king threw himself at her feet. Great fairy! He exclaimed, How can I thank you for all the favors you have heaved on my family? My gratitude for the benefits you have bestowed on us far exceeds my power of expression but my august sister added he that title encourages me to ask more favors for despite the obligations i am already under to you i cannot avoid confessing to you that i shall never be truly happy so long as i am deprived of the presence of my beloved fairy queen. This account of what she has done and what she has suffered for me would increase my love and affliction, were either of them capable of being augmented. Ah, madam, he added, can you not crown all your benefactions by enabling me to behold her? The question was useless If the fairy had had the power to have afforded him that gratification, she was too willing to have waited for the request. But she could not alter what the council of the fairies had decreed. The young queen being a prisoner in the middle regions of air, there was not the shadow of a chance of his being enabled to see her, and the fairy was about to explain this to him kindly and to exhort him to await patiently some unforeseen events by which she might take advantage when an enchanting melody stole upon their ears and interrupted her. The king, his daughter, the queen, and the prince were in excesses, but the fairy experienced another sort of surprise. Such music! indicated the triumph of some fairy. She could not imagine what fairy had achieved a victory. Her fears suggested that it was the old one, or the mother of the seasons, who in her absence had obtained the former her liberty, or the latter permission to persecute the lovers afresh. She was in this perplexity, when it was agreeably ended by the presence of her fairy sister, the queen of the happy island, who suddenly appeared in the centre of that charming group. She was no less lovely than when the king, her husband, lost her. The monarch, who instantly recognised her, making the respect he owed her, yield to the love he had cherished for her embraced her with such transports of joy that the queen herself was surprised at them. The fairy, her sister, could not imagine to what fortunate miracle she was indebted for her liberty, but the royal fairy informed her that she owned her happiness solely to her own courage, which had impelled her to hazard her own existence to preserve another's You are aware, said she to the fairy, that the daughter of our queen was received into the order at her birth, that her father was not sublunary being, but the sage Amdabik, whose alliance is an honour to the fairy race, and whose sublime knowledge invests him with much higher powers. Notwithstanding this, however, It was imperative for his daughter to become a serpent at the end of her first hundred years. The fatal period arrived, and our queen, as tender a mother, and as anxious respecting the fate of this dear infant as any ordinary parent could be, could not resolve to expose her to the many chances of destruction in that shape. The misfortunes of those who had perished being but too notorious for her, not to feel the greatest alarm my wretched situation depriving me of all hope of again beholding my affectionate husband and my lovely daughter i had conceived a perfect disgust for a life which i was doomed to pass apart from them without the least hesitation therefore i offered to become a crawling reptile in the place of the young fairy i saw with delight a certain prompt An honourable mode of delivering myself from all the miseries with which I was overwhelmed, by death or by a glorious emancipation, which would render me mistress of my own actions, and thereby enable me to rejoin my husband. Our Queen hesitated as little to accept this offer, so gratifying to her maternal affection, as I did to make it. She embraced me a hundred times, and promised to restore me to liberty unconditionally, and re-establish me in all my privileges, if I was fortunate enough to pass unharmed through that perilous enterprise. I did do so, and the fruit of my labours was enjoyed by the young fairy, for whom I had been the substitute. The success of my first trial encouraged me to make a second for my own benefit. I underwent the transformation anew and was equally fortunate. This last act made me an elder and consequently independent. I was not long in profiting by my liberty and flying hither to rejoin a family so dear to me. As soon as the fairy had finished her narrative, The embraces were renewed by her affectionate auditors. It was a charming confusion, in which each caressed the other, almost without knowing what they were about. Beauty particularly enchanted at appertaining to such an illustrious family, and no longer fearing to degrade the prince, her cousin, by causing him to form an alliance beneath him. But although transported by the excess of her happiness, she did not forget the worthy man whom she had formerly believed to be her father. She recalled to her fairy aunt the promise she had made to her, that he and his children should have the honour of being present at her marriage. She was still speaking to her on this subject when they saw from the window sixteen persons on horseback most of whom had hunting horns, and appeared in considerable confusion. Their disorder evidently aroused from their horses, having ran away with them. Beauty instantly recognized them as the six sons of the worthy merchant, the five daughters and their five lovers. Everybody but the fairy was surprised at this abrupt entrance. Those who made it were not less so at finding themselves carried by the speed of their unmanageable horses into a palace totally unknown to them. This is the way it happened. They were all out hunting when their horses, suddenly uniting themselves as in one squadron, galloped off with them at such speed to the palace that all their efforts to stop them were perfectly useless. Beauty, thoughtless of her present dignity, hastened to receive and reassure them. She embraced them all kindly, the good man himself next appeared, but not in the same disorder. A horse had neighed and scratched at his door. He had no doubt that it came to seek him by order of his dear daughter. He mounted him without fear, and perfectly satisfied as to whither the seed would bear him. He was not at all surprised to find himself in the courtyard of a palace, which he now saw for the third time, and to which he felt convinced he had been conducted to witness the marriage of Beauty and the Beast. The moment he perceived her, he ran to her with open arms, blessing the happy moment that presented her again to his side, and heaping benedictions on the generous beast who had permitted him to return. He looked about for him in every direction, to offer him his most humble thanks for all the favours he had heaved on his family, and particularly on his youngest daughter. He was vexed at not seeing him, and began to apprehend that his conjectures were honorious. Still, the presence of all his children seemed to support the idea he had formed, as they would scarcely have been all assembled in that spot if some solemn ceremony, such as that marriage, were not to be celebrated. These reflections, which the good man made to himself, did not prevent him, from pressing beauty fondly in his arms, and bathing her cheek with tears of joy, after allowing due time for this first expression of his feelings, enough, good man," said the fairy, "you have sufficiently caressed this princess. It is time that, ceasing to regard her as a father, you should learn that that title does not appertain to you, and that you must now do her homage." As your sovereign she is the princess of the happy island daughter of the king and queen whom you see before you she is about to become the wife of this prince here stands the prince mother sister of the king i am a fairy her friend and the aunt of beauty as to the prince added the fairy observing the expression of the good man's face He is better known to you than you imagine, but he is much altered since you last saw him. In a word, he was the beast himself. The father and his sons were enchanted at these wonderful tidings, while the sisters felt a painful jealousy, but they endeavoured to conceal it under the mask of gratification, which deceived no one. The others, however, feigned to believe them sincere. As to the lovers who had been rendered inconstant by the hope of possessing Beauty, and who had only returned to their first attachments, on their despairing to obtain her, they knew not what to think. The merchant could not help weeping without being able to tell whether his tears were caused by the pleasure of seeing the happiness of Beauty or by the sorrow of losing so perfect a daughter. His sons were agitated by similar feelings. Beauty, extremely affected by this evidence of their love, entreated those on whom she now depended, as well as the prince, her future husband, to permit her to reward such tender attachment. Her entreaty testified the goodness of her heart too sincerely not to be listened to. They were laden with bounties, and by permission of the king, the prince, and the queen, Beauty continued to call them by the tender names of father, brothers, and even sisters, though she was not ignorant that the latter were as little so in heart as they were in blood. She desired they would all in return call her by the name they were wont to do, when they believed her to be a member of their family. The old man and his children were appointed to offices in the court of beauty, and enjoyed the pleasure of living continually near her, in a station sufficiently exalted to be generally respected, the lovers of her sisters whose fashion for beauty might easily have been revived if they had not known it would be useless, thought themselves too happy in being united to the good man's daughters, and becoming allied to persons for whom beauty retained so much goodwill. All those she desired to be present at her wedding having arrived, the celebration of it was no longer delayed. The festivities lasted many days and ended at length only because the fairy aunt of the young bride pointed out to them the propriety of leaving that beautiful retreat and returning to their dominions to show themselves to their subjects. It was quite time she should recall their kingdom to their recollection and the indispensable duties which demanded their presence. Enraptured with the scenes around them, Entranced by the pleasure of loving and expressing their love to each other, they had entirely forgotten their royal state and the cares that attended. The newly married pair indeed proposed to the fairy that they should abdicate and resign their power into the hands of anyone she should select. But that wise being represented to them clearly that they were under as great an obligation, to fulfill the destiny which had confided to them the government of a nation, as that nation was to preserve for them an unshaken loyalty. They yielded to these just remonstrances, but the Prince and Beauty stipulated that they should be allowed occasionally to visit that spot, and cast aside for a while the cares inseparable from their station. And that they should be awaited on by the invisible genie or the animals who had attended them during the preceding years, they availed themselves as often as possible of this liberty. Their presence seemed to embellish the spot, all were eager to please them. The genie awaited their visits with impatience and received them with joy, testifying in a hundred ways the delight their return afforded them. The fairy, whose foresight neglected nothing, gave them a chariot drawn by twelve white stags, with golden horns and hoofs, like those she drove herself. The speed of these animals was almost greater than that of thought, and drawn by them, you could easily make the tour of the world in two hours. By these means they lost no time in travelling, they profited by every moment of leisure, and went frequently in this elegant equipage, to visit their father, the king of the Happy Island, who had grown so young again, through the return of his fairy queen, that he equalled in face and form the prince his son-in-law. He felt also equally happy being neither less enamoured nor less eager to prove to his wife his unceasing affection, while she, on her part, responded to his love with all that tenderness which had previously been the cause of so much misfortune to her. She had been received by her subjects with transports of joy as great as those of grief, which her loss had occasioned them. She had always loved them dearly, and her will being now unfettered, she proved as much by showering upon them for many centuries all the benefits they could desire. Her power, assisted by the friendship of the Queen of the Fairies, preserved the life, health, and youth of the king, her husband, for ages. He only ceased to exist because no mortal can live forever. The queen and the fairy, her sister, were equally attentive to Beauty, her husband, the queen, his mother, the old man, and all his family, so that there never was known people who lived so long. The queen, mother of the prince, caused this marvellous history to be recorded in the archives of her kingdom and in those of the happy island that it might be handed down to posterity. They also disseminated copies of it throughout the universe, so that the world at large might never cease to talk of the wonderful adventures of beauty and the beast. End of section 25